to Beyond the Ring, a podcast that covers all things in the stock show industry from the informative to the insane, starring Ryan Rash, True nobility lies in being superior to your former self, and Dale Hummel. Come on, man. Now on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Ring. This is Dale Hummel, along with co-star Ryan Rash. Hello, hello, hello. That is much better than our original start, Ryan. I don't know what happened the first time. <laughs> just what it was. I thought maybe it was a sign. Well, we could just quit and call it good <laughs> for a week. It, I guess call it good. We're good. Yeah. We're fine. Well, I was listening to Joe in the background giving a speech about the issues in the Middle East. The fact that he gave six billion dollars to Iran and now they're at war, and he reversed the two hundred million to the Palestine government, Hamas, whatever you want to want to refer to. And, and wonders why these things are happening. Yeah, well, like, they're all trying to, I mean, again, and I'm not saying that these people use that particular $6 billion to, like, start this nonsense. But here's the thing. When you give anyone $6 billion, it frees up another $6 billion for them to do something else with. It, it's totally, it, yeah, it's totally irrelevant. <laughs> I mean, it did it, it, $6 billion. And, and the president of Iran, I wish I could pronounce his name, he came out and stated he'll use the money in any manner oh, yeah. he so pleases. Oh, no, he did. But, I mean, again, they're going to say 900 ways from Sundays that the money that the U.S. gave them, that was not used to start this war. But even if it wasn't, even though he said he'll use it for everyone, you give somebody $6 billion, they have six other billion dollars free to do what the hell they want with yeah. it. It's very simple. And technically that money has not been released, but knowing that they're getting it, they can, they can throw how many missiles went into Israel. I don't know. 14 Americans are dead. I know that much. Yeah. 2000 on some reports, 5,000. I mean, just the sheer cost of that many missiles. And there's reports that some of this was left over um, Afghanistan military pieces. Imagine that we donated a lot of our military devices to the Afghanistan and, and the terrorist groups. That that was just brilliant. I, I'm very frustrated, Ryan. Hmm. Did Joe have anything to say about his investigation? He did not mention his investigation. It dropped what yesterday? Yes. Yeah, it wasn't that convenient. Uh I and again, so all they said is that he had been interviewed by a special counsel for two days. That, that's all I got. Out of it. That, is, that is it. That is the only statement that's been released. That is it. Do you think your girlfriend will deflect that question when it comes up in the press conference? <laughs> First off, she's not my girlfriend. Secondly, I just find this very interesting that they, they don't even announce before it happens. They just, it's over. He's been interviewed. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. The same, just, just after a major incident. Yeah. That's deflecting all new. It's it's shocking to me. And and maybe they're right. The ignorance of the American population to to just buy into this this crap. And and it bothers me. It bothers me on very very many levels. Let's talk about something more positive. Mm, okay. RFK officially now running as independent came yes, out formally. So now there's nobody running against Joe other than the palm reader. <laughs> 
Yeah. So uh, do you, how do you, and we had this discussion, I believe with Clifton last week, maybe, and we did not agree. Maybe it was via text, how RFK running as an independent affects a general election. Well, I, I think it, it will all come down to who actually is the democratic nominee, because I think RFK is going to take all the large majority of independents, even not because he's running as an independent, but because he's running. Because I think he is someone <clears throat> that of the three, if if it's Trump, Joe, and him, he's the most likable. He makes way more sense than Biden. And uh Obviously, Kennedy is a name, so I think he's going to take a large, an overwhelmingly large portion of the independent vote. I do not think he will take many Republicans away from Trump, even though Trump isn't the most well-liked. I think the Democrats are going to vote for the Democrat, whoever it is. But if it's Biden, I think less will be motivated to go out and cast their vote for him. But again, they can just like mail it in or call it in or whatever. I, I, I've decided there's, there's a different system for Democrats. They can call down to the courthouse. I believe and, they can they can vote on Instagram and Facebook now. Yeah. So, I mean, but I, I don't think, I, I think motivation for people to vote on the Democrat side, if it's Biden, is going to be a very large problem. And, I, think, uh, I think you're dead on. And, and, and he will... RFK will take a lot of the independence and that, and that's, that just is what it is. But then it comes out to think about how many people, how many of those strong Trump supporters, I mean, they're going to come out and vote. I think Republicans in general are so fed up with what's been going on. They're going to come out to vote that same exact situation. The disasters that we've had, I believe the Democrats, some except for the extreme left, see some of the disaster that doesn't mean they're going to vote Republican. It may not even mean they're going to vote independent, but it may mean they just don't put much effort into going out and voting or mailing in that vote or clicking on that social media tab, whatever whatever method they so choose to vote. Unfortunately, maybe they'll count their vote anyway, Ryan. They're, they're good at that. They, they, they find a way. So I think him running as an independent, actually, if Biden is the nominee, I think it helps Trump if he is the nominee. Of course, yes, you know, we're, I agree. We're ways away from all this, but that that is my opinion. Uh, I, I think he makes a lot of sense. I, I like a lot of his policies. I like all of these things. My very big question in the man is not what he says, is, is what will he, even if he was, let's say Joe stepped down and, he became the Democratic nominee, which is not, but it's not what he says is what what will he do when he gets in there? And the biggest problem with him running as an independent is if by some miracle he won, he has no one behind him. I couldn't agree more. It just is what it is. I, I can go out on a limb a little bit here. He has been so outspoken and, and pushed away from the Democratic Party. And I could be wrong. I think he truly believes in what he's talking about. And I think he will try to implement that because if there, there, I, I see no upside for him doing what he's doing because he's getting a lot of darts thrown at him from his party. Former no. party. Well, 
I don't even think the Democrats accept him. And that's why he decided to run as an independent. I don't know what he said when he made his announcement. Of course, last week you told me he wasn't going to, that that was just rumor. But clearly he is. I I told you it wasn't formal yet. But I I don't know what he said, why he announced that or what his. And and I did not. Decision making process. And it was, but. I, I stand. I still stand by my my thought that I cannot. I I hope I'm wrong, but I cannot see the powers within the Democratic Party, the donors, whatever that power may be, allowing Joe to run. I, I still do not think he'll be the Democratic candidate. I don't either. I just know that time is ticking, and like I said, to get on these ballots in these primaries, it, the deadlines are coming up, and maybe that. That first thing that came to my mind when I saw that he had been interviewed by special counsel, DOJ, whatever, all this other stuff, I was like, maybe they're fixing to lower the boom. Yes, you would you would have thought that that may indicate such. So I don't know. Only time will tell and it'll be. And But I, I will stick with what I said months ago, I think. Uh, I think. This election, more than any other election, there is a bigger possibility for an independent to win. I'm not saying he will, but I I think that there is, if, if, and this is a big if, if it's Trump, if it's Biden, if they held debates, which I don't think they will, but if they held debates and he got to talk to the American voting public on the same stage with the other ones, I think it would even get even closer. Because and I think if you were to if you were to spread out a bell curve on where people are on their policies and ideas, and just just chart them, and you put Trump on there, Biden on there, and RFK, he's gonna he's gonna be closer to most of them than than not. Yeah. And and again with you, he is. I do not believe he's electable as an independent. However, I think he'll get a much larger percent of the populace voting for him than, than maybe we've ever seen in the past. I think he'll surpass Ross Perot. I I believe that, that to be true. And I mean, I, I I respect him for doing that. Maybe it would surprise us if there was ever a perfect storm to run as an independent. This is it. Yeah. It's now, I, I just don't know how far that takes him. So our your president, not ours, your president irritated me again, Ryan, this week, Um, since since we recorded last. Uh huh. Are you aware of that? He irritates you every day, so I don't know what this particular. No, I can, I'm, I'm going to give an example that I think is is hypocrisy and ignorance at its best. So I I had to take a trip to Canada last week to check on some uh, embryo born calves from that originated in Argentina. So we bring them into Canada, we put them in cows up there, and we have a satellite up there that that'll calve them out. And I, I went up there to check on them before we we sent them down um, here here to the U.S. Going to Canada, nothing unusual. Customs was fairly quick. No, no big deal. Nothing out of the ordinary whatsoever. And I made a very quick trip. I think I was in and out in 24 hours. On my way back, as I get to the Calgary airport, you actually go through U.S. Customs at Calgary, so you do not have to once you land in the States. To start off with, there's, there's a monster line to get through customs. Um, the entire process, probably close to two hours just to get through the customs portion of it. And if you weren't there that early, you were going to miss your flight. So that in itself is, is a little bit 
disturbing to me. And I understand we could have more agents. We could do a lot of things. And that, that's, that's going to happen whether the, the southern border is wide open or it is not. However, I am at the point that upon my return from Canada and the U.S., I'm subjected to presenting a valid passport. And I'm questioned about what I was doing in Canada. This, to me, I don't think is happening on the southern border, Ryan. I had to show proof of ID that I'm I'm a citizen. I was asked questions. Well, what what were you doing? Were you on a farm? Were you not on a farm? What was your your business? Was it personal? All of these different things, and we're we're spending this type of time, effort, and energy on U.S. citizens. Whether we should let them back into the country when the border is as wide open as as it is. Did anybody offer to pay my airfare back to Chicago, fly me somewhere? Did they give me a free cell phone? Did they offer to put me up somewhere because I was coming back to the country? I don't I'm assuming that. no. No, they didn't. So I just came across the wrong border, it appears. Well, I don't think your cows would fare very well in Mexico, but I mean, that's just me. Uh, you're, you're probably right. It just It's just amazing to me that we have an administration that now basically facilitates the Mexican drug cartel and giving them control of who's coming across the border, what drugs are coming across the border. It's, it's incredible to me. And I know we've talked about the border a lot, but it's just crazy. If somebody wants to legally come into this country, there are plenty of, of hurdles you have to jump over and accommodate. If my passport would have been expired by a few days, that would have been a major problem. I, I probably wouldn't have gotten out of the country, let alone, let alone back into the country. But those, those rules do not apply to non-U.S. citizens coming across the border. If I would have lost my passport, if I, there's, there's various things that could have happened to me that would have made it much more of a struggle for me to get back into the country as a U.S. citizen than those walking across the southern border. I am frustrated about that. I am shocked that you're frustrated. <laughs> yes. On, on a positive note, the Cavs looked incredible, in case you're wondering. Well, there you go. Very happy. Uh, you just kind of skipped over this whole war in the Middle East anyway. So I'm going to uh, ask your opinion. Like, I personally think this is going to make Putin and Ukraine look like child's play. Um, I, I don't know where it's going. I, I think that Israel is going to go all out and try to root out every member of Hamas they possibly can. But I don't know where it ends. The, the unfortunate thing on both sides is there's the way Hamas positions themselves, how they strategically put their weapons in the middle of residential areas, how they have over 100 plus hostages. All of those things is going to make it difficult for Israel or any of the alliances to root out Hamas without civilian casualty. It just is what it is. And likewise, Hamas obviously cares less, zero about civilian ca- casualties. Ryan, and, and I don't know what reports are true or not, but it appears they went into homes and they shot every member of that family, two years old to 85 years old, while they're sleeping. Just total slaughter, I mean, is the best best term I can use for it, where they have no regard for civilian loss whatsoever. So because of that, I think it's going to be very bloody, very brutal. But I I am unlike you. I don't I don't know where it ends or where it goes. It won't, it won't end. It hasn't ended for how I mean, we've had these, this conflict, this war there, they're, they're j- it's just rooted within 
some of the 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 sex in the, the the Middle East that I almost think it's become a heritable trait that we we have to go to war, we have to fight. I don't know. I I I can literally see the whole Gaza Strip ending up in ruins over this. But you yes, know. no, I, I think I think you're probably right. I I appreciate. And there's been been some talk from Trump when he pulled some of the 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 U.S. funding from the Palestine people or, or government, when he puts enough pressure on strength and, and shuts down Iran, I think we saw towards the end of his, his term, more peace in that region than, than maybe in, in, in the past recent history. And when Joe comes into office, this, this is where we're at. It just, it's a mess. And, and I don't know that we can ever fix it, but what we do and how we respond and who we give money to and who we put sanctions on all of those things do seem to move the needle a little bit. Okay. There's less issues in the middle East or there's more issues in the middle East and everything that Biden has done has showed weakness and cause for more unrest, not just in the middle East worldwide, Russia, China, all the above. I've had numerous texts from listeners here recently. Is China going to invade Taiwan in the very near future? I, I don't know. I don't have anything new on that. But if they're going to do it, they're going to do it before this administration's out of office. I mean, they're they're crazy if they don't. Oh yeah, if that's their plan. No, I agree completely on that. So, are you was, ready for some BTR JLA news? Sure. Hold on. You have what? some? Yes, of course I have some. Uh, let's see here. Top ten novice hog. First place: Peyton Parks in Montana. Second place, Alex Mendoza of California. Third place, Camden Hyman of California. Fourth place, Deegan Sheldon, Remington, Indiana. Fifth place, Kiana King of Oklahoma. Sixth place, Liam Lopez of Fort Worth. Seventh place, Berwick Bloomberg of Illinois. Eighth place, Cora Rohr of Ohio. Ninth place, Jackson Clenard of Texas. And tenth place, Brenham Bloomberg of Illinois. Uh, we would like to thank Reprologics for being a top 10 jacket sponsor. They are a full service uh, cattle reproduction company headquartered in Fort Scott, Kansas. Their goal is to provide customers with the highest quality services at competitive prices. They combine our knowledge and expertise in reproductive physiology with state-of-the-art equipment and technologies to maximize the reproductive performance of their clients, of their clients herds. Founded by Cattlemen, we also understand the importance of outstanding customer service to the success of not only our business, but to the success of our clients' operations. Their entire team is committed to providing open, honest communication with their customers at all times. We really appreciate ReproLogics for being a national top 10 awards and jacket sponsor, just not only this year, but also last year. So thank you, ReproLogics. Thank you. And Ryan, it is the season for fall nationals. Do not forget to bring ShowFresh H2O. Put yourself in the best position possible to succeed. This will have the single biggest impact on your animal with the least effort and the least investment. ShowFresh H2O can be found at your local farm store, supply trailer, or at swampfox.com. Thank you, ShowFresh H2O, for your continued support of this podcast. And just another little side note on BTRJLA, 
membership is open for 2024. You can go to www.btrjla.com and sign up uh, for 2024. Don't forget that points start January 1st, so better be early than late. It is time for the main topic. So when Ryan texted me this a few hours ago, I took it a different direction. When I threw it out there to our producer, he interpreted it differently. You can you can look at this title and take it many, many directions, but I like the direction we're going to go. And Ryan, I predict this will be very, very popular because it's my it's topics been, are never popular. Well, this one's a this one's more of a how-to. Action and and reaction or action versus reaction. Explain the direction you wanted to take it with that title. Well, I just I think that we sometimes forget that for every action, there is a reaction to what we do. And in terms of feeding and managing and daily care and all the things that have to do with our animals, uh, there's whatever way we take it or whichever way that you go or whatever you t- action that you implement, there's going to be a reaction and sometimes a consequence of that. And uh, I don't, I, I don't, I think most people are aware of it, but I don't think it's actively on their brains at all times. I would agree with that. I mean, and I'm, I, and I was going to save this for the end, but a lot of what we do in feeding, in managing show stock, there is, there is a little bit of an art to it in terms of evaluating that animal on a daily basis making adjustments, whether it be exercise or feeding or whatever it may be, to try to get to a desired look or end goal. And and that's hard to explain to, to somebody that hasn't been in the industry for many, many years and, and basically in the trenches. But let's start off, Ryan, and this is one I think you, you pointed out as an example. In some situations, across species, we're, we're feeding some hard and sometimes we're not feeding hard. Sometimes we're pulling back. If we're pushing feed, pushing feed, pushing feed, let's say to a steer, Ryan, what, when you talk about some of the consequences, what are we looking at? Well, I think regardless of what species it is, when you're pushing one to gain weight quickly and rapidly, there is always the chance and possibility that that is going to adversely affect the structure of an animal because rapid weight gain and muscle mass build and stuff like that. That's going to, that's where the pressure is on. And that's the things that may, you know, be inadvertently hindered in those type of situations. And uh, it just, that's just part of it. So I think, you know, the best way is to always just try to make the animal gain the same amount of weight all through the feeding program. But there are times where we've got to push and, get one heavier. Uh, but when you do that, you've got to be careful. No, I, I would agree with that completely. And I think we can point it out within species a little bit, but if we've got, and, and, and Ryan and I have talked about this, there's a lot of cattle out there that during their growth stage and typically the age that we're showing these cattle, they're popping their rear pasterns and we have other skeletal issues or movement issues. And I can assure you, if you're feeding that calf, whether it be a heifer or a steer or a bull, I guess, as far as that goes, really, really hard, you're more likely to, to cause issues in, in that area. Not just that area, but a lot of areas. But that's one distinct, specific example that, that I can give you 
another one would be these young pigs when they're getting ready to, to go to get those pigs, sale pigs ready to sell. We want them bloomy. We want them massive. We want, we want them to look a little more like a mature hog maybe than they should. But if we bump that protein up to keep them expressive and, and if we bump the amino acid content to show more muscular expression in, in those, those young pigs, even a percent or two difference in crude protein will determine if they really tighten up and stiffen up in terms of their joints. We back that protein back down and everything kind of comes back in into order. I have not raised sheep, so I can't tell you as much about how that impacts them. But in terms of raising goats and feeding goats, there are some at a young age when they're on the mother's milk that that's abundant and that that recipient mother or natural mother is is milking well. We will sometimes see some some joint issues because of that. What I, I, I attribute to accelerated growth later on post weaning, we push goats probably as hard as anybody. And in that species, I, I don't see as much of a difference as I do in the hogs or the cattle. It has an impact, but it's not as visible. Yeah. I, again, <clears throat> all very valid points there. And then on the opposite end, instead of pushing one, when we're going to hold one, got gain too, is too heavy and we've got too many months left or weeks left or all this other stuff. Uh, again, the reaction that's going to come from that is your animal is not going to look as good. There's just all there is to it. And it it's a very simple, basic concept. When you are holding, withholding feed from an animal, they obviously are not going to look their best. And I, I'm not saying that we, we hold animals all the time, but it's one of those things that you need to accept and understand going into it they're not going to look nearly as good during the holding process as they did when they were on full feed or earlier in the thing. But I, I think part of I it. think it's, it's real. We, 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 when we're buying an animal, we can buy what we consider to be the appropriate age for a given show, but we can't always be sure how well they're going to grow, how, how they're going to perform. And, and sometimes we're pushing the whole way because they, they just don't have that genetic ability to take off and go. But there are a lot of situations that we we decide we have to hold an animal. And I get numerous um, texts and calls each week. Well, this animal such and such age. My targeted show date is way out here and we already weigh X amount. Should we hold him now? Should we hold him later? I think a key point that Ryan brought out is the last thing we want to do is be holding them going into the show. So we've got to put some thought into it ahead of time that if we want to control that weight for 15 days, 30 days, maybe even 60 days, depending on the species and kind of shut them down. We can do that. We can, we can feed them at a maintenance level or a little above and exercise to get back down to what we call a maintenance level where they're, they're not gaining weight or maybe a reduced weight gain. But during that time, do not expect those animals to, to look real well unless they were obesely fat to begin with. And then they're probably going to look better for a certain period of time as you're pulling some of that, that body condition off of them. I want to cite an example. Think about this. And, and I think you can go across species. A lot of times for, for various reasons, we'll go into a show and maybe the animals just aren't eating as well. Maybe they're not drinking as well because they're being transported. They're going to a new environment, all those things. Maybe we're holding them back to try to get one weight class lower. So we don't have to worry about 
uh, weighing out for for that particular division or that particular class. But I can I can think of many many times, whether it be cattle, sheep, hogs, or goats, that we will get back home that night late, put some feed and water in there, probably feed them a little harder, probably fed them a little harder before we loaded up after the show, and those animals look better the day after we get home than they did in the show ring. And I think a lot of that is just coming back on feed and water hard and every animal is always going to look better, always going to look better when they're at or in a positive energy balance. In other words, when we're, when we're feeding to a point that they're, they're putting on fat, muscle, body tissue, that's when they look the best. When we start pulling back, Ryan, like you said, it's going to be a little harder to look at them. I would always want people to hold early with enough time to feed back into the show. The next one, overuse of antibiotics, Ryan, do you, do you think it exists? Oh, I do. And again, I, I think this is something that for most people is kind of trial and error because just most of these animals are like extended family members and children. And so when you're, I assume for you parents, as soon as your child gets sick, you want to take them to the doctor and get them mended up and back to health and all that stuff. But a lot of times, and just because my mother, again, everything is a product of genetics and environment. And since my mother took like 900 vitamins and supplements and God knows what else her whole life. uh, I have always just never wanted to even take aspirin after watching her guzzle down 3 million pills a day. And so I think there is something to be said though, that like you've got to let the immune system work some, I mean, obviously if they don't get better, then you've got to do something. But I think we do tend to overreact a lot. If we see a snotty nose or something like that and immediately go to doctor them right away and so I think that's something to be conscientious of. Absolutely. And it, and it just, it just is what it is. We, we talk about building resistance to those antibiotics. I don't know if I'm worrying about it in a very short period, if it's a pig or a goat or even a calf, but long-term generationally, we, we are having problems with, with different bugs, building some tolerance or resistance to, to the antibiotics that we use. So in general, for multiple reasons, we want to be cautious with that. It just, we just do. I know. Ryan had said when uh, brought up uh, the human side of it, and, and today when you go to the doctor and their willingness to give you an antibiotic compared to what it was even ten years ago, much more restrictive now because because of some of those things. Ryan, you also brought up um, washing with shampoo versus rinsing, maybe how often, etc. Please explain. Oh, and, and again, I I am a big person on daily care and. I think that, especially in cattle, I'm not going to say as much sheep and goats, but in cattle and hog, that you, you, for the skin and the hair to be right, it's got to be clean at all times. And that's just part of it. Uh, but the more that we use soap, uh, the skin has a possibility of drying out. And if we don't, take steps to replace the oils and the skins with other products and all that other stuff. Then again, there can be the thing where we're keeping them too clean to where their scalp gets, not their scalp, excuse me, their skin and their hide get dry. 
Absolutely. And, and I, I have had some of the very best families feeding our goats, specifically does that are shown in hair where they would wash them too often. And, and we would dry that, that hair follicle out. We'd dry the skin out and that hair quality and just general appearance really went backwards pretty fast. So I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of only using soap on a very rare occasion. And I think we can go across species with this. Maybe cattle are, are a little more tolerant than, than goats in, in this situation. And I, I, I can't point to research data that says anything like that, but I, I do know, and I, and I do see an unwashed racks, um, Dawn dish soap being used. And, and I, I think under extreme cases, that that's probably okay, but you know what Dawn is used for? Think about wildlife rescues and oil spills and things like that, Ryan. It is has the ability to degrease or remove oils from anything probably better than any other single product out there. So be careful, people. Be careful. I, I think our our condition in terms of where that hair and skin is has a lot to do with with what type of soap we're using and how often we're using it. I err on the, the the side of caution, very mild shampoo. And for the most part in our barn, we're only washing prior on, on the goat side prior to, to shearing or clipping for a show. Another one that we can talk about, Ryan, and I, I see this on a regular basis. We were just in the barn this morning visiting about what goats we're going to take to Louisville that may be going on to Denver, or Phoenix, or even into spring shows. And we decided to take some of the younger goats just to make sure that they get out and get acclimated to that show environment. And a lot of times, depending on the animal, that first show you go to, they're going to stress a little bit and maybe aren't going to be a hundred percent. But Ryan, if you, if you don't mind, take us into just how many shows do we need to go to? What's, what's too many, what's too little. If, if we have a target show, what do we do before that targeted show to make it the best it can be? I, I know in breeding animals, it's a little different than probably market animals, but I am a firm believer that you have to take uh, your animals to enough jackpot shows to get them what I call show broke. So they will eat and drink and rest properly in a different environment other than just the barn at home. Because the first time that you take them out of that environment and put them on a trailer and drag them a couple hours to foreign facility and all this other stuff, they're going to be a little off and they're probably not going to want to eat and they're probably not going to drink. But if you do it enough, then they will get used to it and they will understand that this is just, you know, another show and they will be more receptive to being restful and hydrated and eat as they need to so they can look as good as they can at that show. Because in market animals, we are targeting for one final show, uh, mo- most times. And, uh, so I, I'm a big believer in that. I also think that you can go the opposite direction and wear them out, taking them to too many shows in a month or something like that. And, uh, it's going to make them stale. And, uh, I'll, sometimes they'll go off feed and all kinds of things. If you just wear them out on the road too much. so. It's a balancing act and every animal is different. That's why I can't say, well, for market steers or breeding heifers, this is the number of shows you should attend because all animals are different. And 
I've had some that you could take that thing to a show every single weekend and it's going to look exactly the same. And I've had others that, you know, a couple was probably where that thing needed to be maxed out at. So just got to get a read on the individual animal. Uh, but I do think it is good to get them out, get them in different environments. So when, even with a breeding animal, uh, you've got to show that you are more concerned about winning or doing as well as you can at than the others. And so you target for that show. Well, they, if, whatever your target show is taking that animal out for the first time to that show is probably not the best idea. Absolutely. So it's, it's all about kind of setting your priorities and determining what that targeted show is and adjusting for that individual animal in a cross species. We're going to see some variation. There are some animals that I would be afraid to show two weeks apart, show today and then, then have another show in two weeks and, and expect to look 100%. There's other animals that can handle it just fine. I can remember of a family that that I visited with that I think hit 14 shows straight weekend after weekend, and this was with goats, and there was almost no weight gain. And and that's not unusual to just when we go that hard, sometimes you're gonna you're gonna pull back how much they can they can gain, how much they're gonna grow, all those things. And you may have another animal you could show the darn thing every week and it just keeps on going. So that that's a hard one. You have to play it by ear just a little bit and in you react to how that particular animal reacts to being on the road that much. The one thing we did, we didn't bring out here is we, not only we didn't, do we need to get those animals acclimated to hauling and, and being at the shows so they don't stress when it's time for that targeted show. But guess what? Unless you have a very experienced showman, there is, there is no way to replicate that time in the ring for that showman. And And I was guilty of this very, very, much so with my my kids when they were younger, we we didn't want to show at jackpots and compete against what we're showing or selling, I should say. We would show at our, our state fair sometimes, only the open show and then the national shows. But that was only putting my kids in the ring a handful of times each year. And and that's that's not enough to get those kids to their full ability in terms of their their showmanship. So good one. Very good one. What about the overuse of supplements, Ryan? You know this would be my favorite. <laughs> Well, I I will be brief because you will be very lengthy on no, this. No, I'll keep it short. Right, sure you will. Uh, I again, I I am not a supplement person per se. Do I think there are supplements that work? Yes. Do I think there are a large majority of them that probably don't do any harm, but really don't do any benefit? Absolutely. And so, I. I always caution that when we're adding all these different potions and lotions and creams and whatever uh, to the feed, I I think that you're throwing off a lot of the nutritional balance in your feed. And that is always worrisome and bothersome. And so, uh, and I, I just think that unless you truly have had great, great results with a supplement, then err on the side of caution at the very least. That was very well put. I love the the, the comment about we we if we overuse or, or 
too large a portion of the diet is supplements, we are, we are throwing off the balance of nutrients that that ration was developed and designed to meet certain ratios. In other words, if we don't have our calcium phosphorus ratio right, we're going we're gonna to impact that animal in a negative manner. And there are so many interactions between minerals, vitamins, uh, proteins, and various nutrients that, that need to be in a balance or in a certain ratio that anytime, and, and I use the, the term 20%, anytime the diet's more than 20% supplement, the chances of us throwing something off dramatically increase in terms of what the ratio is of the, the proper ratio of given nutrients that are in that diet. So we, we have to be careful with it. And again, there's supplements out there that have a purpose that, that serve that purpose well. We just have to be smart about it. And pig people out there, Mr. Fugate specifically, <laughs> When I, when I watch him feed a hog at a show, it's like, I'm hoping he doesn't feed him at home this way, but I, I've seen him use supplements to the extent that there's no feed there. And, and that's just craziness, absolute craziness. So be careful, be smart about it. Think about, think about what that diet is designed to do and adjust accordingly. With that, and you can throw this into the supplement form or not. Brian, a lot of times we talk about an animal being green or being skinny or we got to get a little more fat on them. One of the things people like to do, and, and I, again, I, I pick on the, the swine feeders a little bit, but we see it across species. To get fat on the animal, they assume let's put fat in the diet or add supplemental fat. Supplemental fat is very energy dense, very high calorie. So the theory of that is good. And I think to a certain degree, adding fat to the diet is very good because we, we can get more calories in. But I also want to caution people. There is, depending on the individual animal, depending on the species, depending on the source that the fat is derived from, there are many situations that when we put that supplemental fat in there, we begin to reduce feed intake um, to the point that calories become lower by adding the fat. Now, if we do it within reason, I think we can keep our intake as high as what it was prior to adding the supplemental fat, and we can get the extra calories coming from it. But be cautious. More is not always better there. I can Maybe we can relate it to, and, and biologically not exactly the same, but, but hopefully it'll make sense. Ryan, if you indulge in something very, very rich, extra, extra sweet, a lot of people will say, oh, I just, it's so rich, I can't eat very much of it. For some reason, and I think it's Mother Nature coming into play, when we eat something so caloric dense, the brain says, oh, we, we don't need that much of this. And I, I think we have the same thing in an animal. Yeah, and, um, that's an excellent point. And again, bringing it back to or liking in it to human form, I think always helps things because I, I just like everything else, there's a whole lot of common sense that comes in this too. And so that is one thing, uh, you know, we were talking about holding and pushing and all this other stuff earlier and almost, and especially in the small animals, almost all of these animals have an exercise program. And uh, I think that uh, there's definitely going to be a reaction depending on how much you exercise your animals. Would you agree with that, Dale? Absolutely, from a good and a bad. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, when we're really 
exercising them hard to try to build muscle mass and all of that, that is going to take, that is going to cause wear and tear on joints and soundness and flexibility and all that. I mean, and, you know, we keep adding these human examples. Uh, Have y'all ever seen like one of those massive bodybuilders that, you know, can move like a gazelle? Probably not. So, uh, you know, we have to think about that. And then also, if if we don't exercise enough, then we're probably not going to be in good enough shape to be truly competitive on the top end. And so it's a very, very hard line to figure out on those things, too, uh, where exactly we need to be in terms of the exercise program. And again, depending on the animal that you start with or the animals you have in your barn, you're going to have to tailor each exercise program differently. Exactly. I think that that is key. It's all individual and, and we can set some parameters and and try to balance up or down from those parameters. But I, I get questions on a daily basis. It may be somebody that just, just unloaded a 40 pound goat that, that we sent out and they're wondering if we should start exercising now, or maybe somebody that's been feeding the goat for several months and now should we start? There, there isn't a real good answer to that. But one thing that I feel pretty strongly about that I want to make sure that the animal's up and going and doing pretty well, and maybe even make sure that they've got some body condition or body fat before we start exercising. Because if we have no body fat and we start exercising, that that comments, the comments that Ryan made earlier about holding feed and how they don't look good, we're probably going to be in that situation. Think about it. That underneath the skin is that body fat, and that helps smooth a lot of things out and blend a lot of pieces together. That we we want to make sure that we don't exercise to the point where they're just absolutely raw. I can't think of a single species that zero body fat is going to work for us. And Ryan referred to those bodybuilders. Well, guess what their workout regime is to build muscle mass. They will go hard. They'll work those those muscles so hard that they tear the muscle fibers. Give those fibers 48 hours to rebuild with the proper amino acids going into the body to, to facilitate that rebuilding. But if we don't give that time to rebuild and we tear the fiber, tear the fiber, tear the fiber, no rebuild time, we're not increasing that muscle fiber diameter. So there's there's a lot that goes into this. One of the simplest things we can talk about, and, and people say, well, I, I take our goat a half a mile from the house and run them back. That's great. That That's going to do is, is maybe strengthen that inner core a little bit, which is good. It's definitely going to burn calories, but you're probably not building much muscle mass. But if you've got a goat that's a little fat or a little soft, those things are going to help. So think about it. Calorie burning in a long distance situation, that's going to lean an animal up. But if you want to truly build mass, You've got to go hard as possible for short periods of time and maybe three repetitions of such. So exercise is, is definitely something that we can do too much. We can do too little. It's part of that art that, that I talked about earlier. We just have to be able to look at that animal, determine how it's responding to the exercise program and adjust accordingly. Ryan, you mentioned coolers to me earlier when you brought this topic up. How, tell me about too much, too cold, too little. Where are we at? Well, I think, you know, again, uh, it always 
fathoms me how many people have coolers for cattle and uh because it i i just never thought that we would be at a place where i think the majority probably do or have some type of air conditioning for those animals and stuff like that uh and you know i, I know people that think that the longer they stay in the dark cold box the more hair they're gonna get and all this other stuff but uh the adverse reaction to that is is that they're going to look stale and appear stale. They they have to have time outside to have fresh oxygen and you know be an animal. Uh, I depending on temperature, it is it, all of that or how we always regulated that was how what was the temperature going to be at when you turn that animal out at night? Because again. If if it is such a dra- stark and overwhelming contrast, then the animal's going to get sick probably or more likely to get sick because you can't have them in, you know, a 40-degree box and then turn them out in 90-degree heat. It's just not going to work. And so, uh, again, a lot of common sense comes into it. Uh, I think that there are some things that, we were never we would always even when we were doing jackpot shows and stuff like that some of them just had to have time out of the cooler so just to freshen up be a cow all that other stuff and so again when you're targeting a show then that's where your target is that's when you fire that thing up and get them ready and all this other stuff but it just can't be a year-round process in my opinion no, I, I think there's, I think we're fighting mother nature there and we've got to let them, as Ryan puts it, be a calf sometimes. And I think there's a lot to that. And everybody's going to have different theories and different protocols for their coolers and at what temperature to set it and whether to have the lights on for or the photo period restricted to a certain number of hours per day. Um, I can assure you with, with our calves that go into the cooler and we're usually targeting state fair in Illinois in August. So it's probably the hottest time of year, but we, we have to, to, to be able to turn that calf out at night, hopefully with not a great difference in, in temperature from the cooler out, there's always going to be some. And then we also, if we go from our cooler set pretty cold straight into our state fair, where we're kind of down in a very hot trap dungeon, um, those calves are not going to overheat. They're going to melt. It's a very fine line. How soon before our state fair, do we start back in the cooler temperature down? maybe letting them outside to acclimate a little bit more, all of those things. Cause we, for the most part, we'll put them in the, in the coolers, May, June, somewhere in there. And they just don't go out to shows. I mean, it just doesn't happen until our state fair. And I mean, that's a big flip of a switch from going in that cooler to, to the hottest part out 24 seven in that heat. And if you don't adjust them to it or ease them into it, you're probably going to run into more problems. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, management that goes into getting a calf in and out of a cooler properly to, to benefit everything that we want to take place. We can grow more hair, but if that calf melts down out in the ring, Ryan, it, it just doesn't work. And I, I want to circle back one, one other thing, the exercise program, we talk about using it to burn calories, to lean them up, to build muscle mass. And I, and I don't think we hit this directly. I think Ryan alluded to it, but to be more direct, we have to have what we call show ring endurance. Those animals have to be in good enough shape. 
that they don't start falling apart out in the show ring just because they're physically tired of standing in that position. Whether that means tying that calf with its head up for hours a day, walking those those lambs and goats or pigs or whatever whatever method you choose to use, we do have to make those animals an athlete. And those athletes that are in good shape are going to consistently present themselves and look better in the show ring from the time they enter the class until that judge is talking about them in the microphone. So we, we can't can't forget those things. I have another one, Ryan, and, and you and I haven't, I don't know that we've discussed this very much. When it comes to calm, when you get those new, new, and, I, and I'm referring more to market, and I apologize, but using that as an example, say you go out and buy those, those new show projects, whether it's a lamb, a goat, a pig, a steer, whatever it may be. When it comes time to break that steer, to calm that pig down and get it trained to walk or break that, that sheep or that goat to lead, we want to acclimate the animals to humans. We want them to be comfortable with that showman. But Ryan, is there a fine line there between showable and two dog tame? Uh, I, I think in sheep and goats, there definitely is. Because again, in those two species, you need that animal to brace and flex and do all those things. Uh, so you can get the required handle that you want out of your animal. So I think that you can probably uh, get one that is too gentle. I'm going to be real honest. I I don't know if you can, I don't see it as much in cattle. And again, I I see it way the other way in cattle where they're not broke enough. (laughs) And so uh, I I think probably in that species, not so much, but in, in the hog deal, you know, you, you touched on the endurance thing and that that is probably one of the biggest factors in terms of how you're going to end up doing because again if you're out there driving and driving and driving and these other families have conditioned and their their hog to be out in a ring for 45 minutes without a break and you haven't yours is going to give out and you know, and once a hog starts to give out, then it's downhill from there. No, absolutely. And, and, and that's that's good. And I think Ryan hit it well. There, there's a fine line there on the sheep and goats that if we get them so tame, they, they're not worried about responding to us and they're going to take the easy or the lazy route. And if they're out there kind of sway back and you go to get into them, they, they're, they're not concerned about you. They're so comfortable with whatever the environment is where... The first time you grab those animals and they haven't been around humans before, they lock up and embrace as hard as you, you can possibly imagine. But you have to get them to a point where they're going to lead, where they understand it's time to, to drive and, and those things. So it, it is hard. It is a difficult position. Be careful. We, we, we tell our kids we don't want to make these goats pets, but we have some fairly high strung goats. So we never. I don't know if that, any of your goats point. have ever been a pet. No, it's, it's very, very uncommon. Um, what about Ryan? And here's our big, big arguments that I have when we're at the show, whether I'm, I'm questioning what time we're getting those animals up to fit, whether it's a steer into the chute or a, a goat up onto the, the lamb or goat fitting stand. If we have them up too long to fit, they get tired, they get wore out. If we don't put them up in time. We don't have enough time to get the job done well. Is that occasionally a topic for debate? Oh, I think it's, again, in terms of, when you're actually at a show, uh, I think that is probably 
and the topic is actions and reactions, and you want to talk about what will cause people to react more than anything else. It is this right here. And uh, I cannot stress enough. Uh, you or whoever your crew is that is helping you, th this is part of going to those shows throughout the year. You should be able to know exactly how long you need to make that animal look its very best. And uh, everybody's, it, that's going to be different for everybody because it's going to be different for the animals. Some animals require more grooming. Some require less. Some have more hair. Some have not. Uh, some people have four people to fit one animal and some people have one. But whatever your circumstances are, you've got to know them. You've got to uh, understand them and have a time frame in mind where you can get that one looking 100%. And then your next job is to go up there, watch classes, time the judge, so you know, okay, well, at class 20, I should have an hour to get mine ready and be at the ring in plenty of time. Because there is nothing that causes more... Uh, excitement, I guess, would be a, a, a word than when we're running out of time and the animal's not ready and everybody is running around like a chicken with their head cut I'm, off. I'm going to use the term panic. Panic, yes. Panic. There you go. Panic. Now, and that that is, I mean, timing that right is essential. And sometimes you'll be getting close to noon hour and you're thinking, well, they're going to break for lunch or they're not going to break for lunch. For the love of God, show officials, please Give those people plenty of advance, whether you're going to break for lunch or not break for lunch, so they can prepare for exactly what we're talking about here. Don't decide at 11.50, oh, we're going to stop after this class and break for lunch. Those poor people that already have those animals in the process of fitting, they can't turn around and go back to the wash rack. and let, it, just, it doesn't work. So the more advanced, the, everything the show can do to best facilitate what time or, or facilitate that those those exhibitors know what time they're going to hit the ring the better i know it's not always easy and that's a lot on the exhibitors part to, to figure out like ryan said timing the judge etc but the more the the better you are at here's we need 30 minutes to get this animal ready from the time we get them up until they go to the ring which is pretty quick but if you know that and can time that right you're you're putting yourself in a better position so ryan i have a a term that i use overshowing are there consequences to overshowing? Does that even make sense to you? What that? What I mean? <laughs> You're gonna have to be I, a little I, more I, specific I can, on overshowing. Let's, let's use a a lamb or a goat, and and that exhibitors. I mean, they've got that thing ninety eight percent set. I might want to move the back offside rear leg a quarter of an inch, and we go down and move that just to make it perfect. Or we, we continue to fidget and fuss to try to stay at 100% rather than 90 plus and, and go with it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have always said, you know, 95% is just as good as 100 and all this other stuff. And I, I think this is a thing that you need to know your showman or in, and know your animal. Uh, there are some animals that if you're at 80%, you probably need to just stay right there. And again, 
that's what we were talking about, you know, when you were saying two broke or whatever. I see it on the cattle side so much where they're not broke enough that like if you're eighty percent, everybody's like, Okay, just hold what you got. You're good. You know. We're thrilled. We're thrilled with where you're at. Let's right. And uh and so uh I I think it depends on the experience and expertise level of the showman and also knowing the temperament of that animal because I guess for me, the best the best way to put it is I was a perfectionist and I always wanted it perfect. I also knew mine good enough that I knew if that if I was holding on to one at that given time where I could make sure it was perfect and it wasn't going to piss that steer off if I moved something a half an inch, you know, uh, or was it going to send that one into a tailspin and then we're down to 50% instead of where we're at? And so, yes, there are times where what you call overshowing can be a detriment because, again, these animals are like people. They're only going to take so much, but some people can take more than others and some animals can take more than others. I am a firm believer that as competitive as it is right now, whether it's showmanship or the regular show, the closer you can get to 100%, the better off you'll be. But I also see Dale's point is that if we have gotten to the point that we are trying to get it so perfect that the animal is now mad and frustrated and go in the opposite direction, then there's your reactionary consequence to that. Absolutely. And I, and I think, and I, and I see this when I'm out judging or just at a show and observing, and even, even with my kids, we have a situation that, that oftentimes when we go to say it's a lamb or goat and we go to, to move that rear leg in the process of moving that rear leg, we may be giving that judge a really bad look to gain just a little bit. Not to mention if, if that animal is just not going to tolerate it and we're going to go spiraling downhill but i see too often especially when we're out there and whether it's a division drive or the grand drive or maybe even we have two or three animals pulled just the judges just looking at those to to determine the class winner i think it's a little bit nerves that the showman's getting a little excited we better get everything just right but that bad look that you may or may not give them by making that adjustment needs to come into play i'm all for making that adjustment especially if the judge isn't directly looking at you or if it can be made without that animal falling apart on you, get to 100%. Do what you can. But if there is a downside that you know that animal is going to drop that chest floor and pull that head down for you to go back and move that hind leg or or has a chance of, of reacting and just completely going in a circle on you, think twice before you do it. The, this, one, this one that I have here, Ryan, leads right into that. We've talked about it so many times the consequences of continually drilling that top down on a lamb with your, with your hand. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know why anybody does that anyway, because it doesn't work <laughs> it just, a, a second later. What happens? Uh, it's right back up there. And uh, again, then, uh, and I, I've had that conversation it says, well, then why do you loin an animal or why do you loin a calf? I said, I, I get where you're making the comparison and the contrast. I understand completely. But also, it, it is just more effective in loining steers and heifers than it is trying to push the top down on a sheep or a goat. And I, I can't 
give you a rational explanation or scientific explanation why, but it is more effective. And it, that's, it seems like it just stays there until right. we go to that, mover. That, that's just the truth. And, uh, and the other thing, even more than pushing the top down on, you know, when you're stopped, they do it when you're going around the ring and all that other stuff. And all that does is send out a red flag that there's, that's a problem area. And so again, if you do it in front of the judge, then that's signaling to them that there's a problem area. And so, uh, even if you can correct it, you've already told, told the judge, Hey, here, here's something here you need to look for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And even, even on a calf. And I, I believe it definitely is more applicable to a calf to, to loin a calf guys use common sense. Try to do it when the judge is, is looking at the other end or, or, or whatever we, we, even in a calf, we don't necessarily, if you can avoid it, we'd rather the judge wasn't looking at you when it happens. Oh, I don't ever want to loin one when the judge is looking and I, I always, but how, how often does it happen? Oh, it ha- happens. But when I trained my, I was like, when they're three away from you, you loin. Uh, you know, when they're three animals away from you, you loin. And so, cause again, and it is so commonplace in steers and heifers, but I still don't want the judge seeing you do that if you're showing for me. So, I mean, just because of what we're saying, you are giving confirmation that something needs to be modified in that animal by doing that. Agreed completely. I only have one more, and I, know, I assume we're running a little long. We've had some technical issues, so I really don't know where we're at on time. Oh. What's the one thing you hear the parents or the the fitters, or I don't even know what you're you're going to say, or who who is always saying it, but somebody involved with that showman, especially the young showman when they're going to the ring, look at the judge, look at the judge from outside the ring, look at the judge. I want a showman to look at me, so if I'm I'm asking them to pull in or to walk or whatever it may be. I don't have to go over and physically tell them they they're it's easy for me to get their attention to direct them to what I want them to do. However, in some situations I've got, we've got those, those kids so locked on to looking at the judge 100% of the time. And maybe they're not experienced showmen yet. And they're not noticing when that legs out of place, or maybe they're, they're not being very aware, uh, ring awareness goes to shit because all we're doing is what focusing on the judge. So let's, let's be careful. I think that's a valid point. And again, I think it comes with some of the other stuff that we've talked about here. You can stare holes through a judge and that's great. But if your animal's standing there with their back legs crossed, it's, it's irrelevant. And so, uh, one thing that I always, and it didn't matter what species it was, Really, of course, it doesn't work for pigs, but sheep, goats, cattle is whether you're holding on to their head or you're holding on to that lead, that halter. You can feel an animal if you're paying attention and in the moment, you can feel when the animal's wanting to move, much less when it moves. And so, and when you get to be super, super talented, you can apply enough pressure on that animal to keep them from moving. Dale may not agree, but I'm telling you, I do because I've done it and I know people that can do it. And it it is all, it's in a feel. And 
what pressure to apply to keep that animal from moving. But the, the oh, whole thing, I think you can, you can, you can almost feel when that animal's going to move and, and react accordingly. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. You can feel when that animal's going to move, and then you can react to keep that animal from moving. But what you're talking about is staring wholesome and not paying attention to anything else. That happens a lot. But even if we're not a greatly experienced showman, my, my advice to you is, yes, looking at the judge is very, very important. And so... Every time that the judge is in front of you, keep that eye contact. But also, as soon as they walk away, if you're not to that level where you can feel if they moved, if they want to move or whatever, look down and make sure everything's still in check. Because a lot of times they have and you were focused on something else and just didn't catch it. And again, staring a hole through the lady or the man judging. When your animal's standing there cross-legged or stretched out, it, it it doesn't work. It doesn't matter. Nope, exactly. Dead on. Thank you. Brian, I think that was fairly long for our, for our main part of the It the seems episode. like it's taken 14 hours because we've had so many technical <laughs> but I, but problems. I really, it says 35 minutes on the recording, so it's, it's short, other than we started over five times. This is like the 17th time that we started <laughs> recording. Okay. Question and answer sponsor. Oh, we would like to thank Basic Animal Health for being the question and answer sponsor of the portion of the podcast. Anytime that you buy a Basic Animal Health product at their website, www.basicanimalhealth.com, and use at checkout the code BTRJLA, we will receive a portion of the proceeds to help with the ward cost. So thank you, Basic Animal Health. Are you ready? Sure. First question comes from Lori. Love the podcast and learn so much from you too. I have a question. How's Ryan's house remodeling coming along? <laughs> <laughs> I we haven't talked about it lately. I plead the fifth. When, Move when on. Did it, when, let's just say when did it start? Can we answer uh, that? I, I don't even remember now, and I plead the fifth. <laughs> I believe it was a year ago. I am going to have direct those questions. To Jesse, Cherie, Moeller, Rash, Caraba, Bright. And if you would like her number, please inbox me. Oh, I I kind of forgot. Oh, Clooney. I forgot her first husband's name was Clooney. Sorry. You're not nice. That is not. That is her full name. Jesse, Cherie, Moeller, Clooney, Rash, Caraba, Bright. That is not her name at this point. That's all of her names. May, you may be correct. I'm not. But yes, if y'all would like to talk about house remodeling, I will direct you to Shrek. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, this is going to be an easy question to answer. I'm just telling you, she likes me being trapped up in the tower of her house. So there you go. The, this, this, I thought you were making up in the beginning. At this point in the remodeling process, mm-hmm. there does appear to be a reason that I was unaware of initially. Yeah. Exactly. How's that for a confession? There you go. Kevin provides the next question. Ryan and Dale, listen to the reality check episode and thank you for addressing that topic. Ryan said that he would bury one in class that was obviously been tampered with. What about a breeding animal that is obviously in the wrong age group? My family has been beat several times that way and we are 
I think we did this question last week. Oh, we did. I thought it sounded familiar. Yes, we did. Next. Oh, come now I got to come up with another one. I'll just pull up the messenger. We did uh-huh. your your response to that for those that didn't listen last week and not everybody listens every week was it's just a little more difficult to call off the age if I remember correctly. Yeah, I I mean like I said last week, I can definitely tell when there there are times I can definitely tell when one has been altered. But again, there are people that look older than what they're supposed to. There are people that are growthier than what they're supposed to be. It is not nearly as easy to be 100% sure that an animal is over age. So yeah, no, not so much. Speaking of age, I, I have a replacement question. Oh God. And you, you should have paid attention to my text earlier a day or two ago. Uh-huh. What animal can almost li- not live for infinity, but live for the most part forever? Lobsters. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> their, their cell replication, it's almost a perfect copy. It's amazing. Okay. On with, on with the, the podcast. Here. Mm-hmm. Jake, this one's too easy, and, and I think we, you've answered it many times. Love the podcast. What is the best way to contact both of you regarding judging shows? Uh, best way for me is text. Snail mail for me. Or Facebook Messenger. Yeah, I, I do not check Messenger very often, unfortunately. I, I check Messenger on Beyond the Ring when it comes time to getting question and answer. And obviously, I need to check off which ones I've already used because we duplicated here. I, I think text messaging is is probably the most effective for both of us. Yeah, like I said, text text message or Facebook message is the easiest way to get a hold of me. And I think you can find phone numbers probably on Beyond the Ring, I think has your number. Hummel Livestock might have my number but anyway this this was good there's a lot of different directions that we took this this title and i think there's a lot more that we could cover maybe even do another one if this one's popular unfortunately ryan and i thought this one would be really good so we we assume it won't be as popular as as what we we think it will be as as most are but with that said i appreciate your time today ryan uh clifton I don't know what happened to my internet, but I apologize for the the technical difficulties on my end. But until next week, be safe. Y'all come back now, you hear?